You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to episode 80 of the GDPR Weekly Show. It was a real pleasure this week to spend some time with Kelly Teasdale, who is a PR expert and a crisis management expert, discussing with her how GDPR and PR and crisis management really all fit together. And we were principally recording an article for her new podcast, which she'll be launching in March 2020. And she's kindly agreed to appear here on the GDPR Weekly Show in a few weeks' time, when I'll be talking to her about the whole PR issue with GDPR, particularly when you've had a data breach, how do you handle that? And so I think that'll be a really useful interview, and I'm really looking forward to recording it for you. Kelly has a very active Facebook group called My Best Year in Business. So do search that out. It's well worth looking at and well worth joining. It's totally free. So well worth at least a few moments of your time. Coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have, first of all, a look at the number of data breaches recorded in the last 12 months by country across the EU. Uh, We look at the top 10 uh, in terms of number of data breaches and also the top 10 in terms of number of data breaches per 100,000 of population. So some interesting figures there for you. We then have news that the UK Home Office EU Settlement Scheme, which was introduced as a result of Brexit, is currently having over 20 data breaches every calendar month. And so we have a look into that for you. We then have a look at the French retail giant Decathlon, which has suffered a massive data breach, exposing 123 million records for its Spanish, French and UK customers. We then have news from low-cost airline Transavia about a data breach which is affecting some 80,000 of their passengers. We then have news that the UK Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA, has suffered a rather embarrassing data breach. We then look at the results after a data breach last year at the Canadian Financial Cooperative Desardine And what it illustrates, really, is the real cost of a data breach. So not just the financial penalty that might be imposed by the regulator, but what the real cost is in terms of customers. And so I think you'll find that a really interesting article. We then have news from the CBI, which is urging employers, particularly employers with more than 250 staff, not to wait for legislation before collecting ethnicity data so that you can break down your pay by ethnic group. And we look at the GDPR implications of that. And then finally this week, we look at a new consultation paper, which has come out from the UK Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, looking at how artificial intelligence and GDPR work together, or fit together. What are the implications of each on each other? And so quite an interesting survey, and so we will be giving you details of that this week, but also delving into that further in the coming few episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. So as always, quite a mixed bag of articles for you. I hope you find something there which is useful and informative to you. And as always, if you have any feedback on the show, please do let us know by emailing us at podcasts at insurety.co.uk, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk, 
We do read every single piece of feedback we receive. Unfortunately, we don't have time to reply to each one individually, but please be assured we do read your feedback. We do welcome your feedback, and it helps us shape the future shape of the GDPR weekly show. So please do always let us have your feedback should you have any. Check us out on Facebook. As this is the 80th episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we thought we'd start this week with a look at some stats of how the number of data breaches is compared across different countries in Europe. And so in 10th position is Norway with 2,824 reported data breaches. In 9th is France with 3,459. In 8th, position is Finland with 6,355. In 7th position is Sweden with 7,333 reported breaches. In 6th position is Poland with 7,478 breaches. In 5th position Denmark with 9,806 breaches. In 4th position Ireland with 10,516 breaches. In third position, the United Kingdom with 22,181 breaches. In second position, Germany with 37,636 breaches. And in top position, number one is the Netherlands with 46,647 breaches. But number of breaches, and of course this is only number of breaches actually notified to the um, appropriate ICO in each country, so it's not an indication of total number of breaches, only those that are reportable. But number of breaches are only one side of the story, of course. Let's also look at how that compares in breaches per 100,000 of the population. And if we do that, we get a slightly different order. Because if we do that, in 10th position is France. In 9th position is Poland. In 8th position is the United Kingdom. In 7th position is Germany. In 6th position is Norway. In 5th position is Sweden. In 4th position is Finland. In third position is Denmark. In second position is Ireland. But still, interestingly, even if we do it on this measure, number one with the most per 100,000 is the Netherlands. So either the Netherlands have a lot more data breaches than everyone else, or they're an awful lot more tuned into reporting data breaches than everyone else, and I suspect it's a mix of the two. But hopefully those figures give you a clue of where your country sits within the current lead table of data breaches being reported to the relevant ICO. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The UK Home Office has had to admit to over 100 data breaches in the administration of the EU settlement scheme that's come into place in relation to Brexit. The Home Office had to admit that it had been responsible for more than 20 data breaches a month in the administration of the EU settlement scheme, including losing passports and sending ID cards to the wrong addresses. The Independent Chief Inspector of Borders and Immigration, ICIBI, said the scheme breached GDPR law 100 times between April and August 2019, which campaigners said had sinister implications for the planned digitisation of the wider immigration system. A report by the Immigration Watchdog also raised concerns about a lack of support for vulnerable applicants, hidden costs of applying and a lack of transparency and detail in the Home Office data. Campaign groups supporting EU nationals applying for settled status said the findings backed up EU citizens' worries about the Home Office losing, sharing or deleting their records and data and said it highlighted the risks of digital-only systems. 
In total, it's understood that some 3.2 million people have so far registered for EU settled status, which they must obtain in order to continue living legally in the UK after June 2021. Of these 3.2 million people, 2.7 million have been granted the status, meaning around half a million applications are currently still going through the system. The Home Office apologised last April for committing a potential data breach of EU nationals after inadvertently sharing the email addresses of 240 applicants with others who applied under the scheme. But the ICBI report revealed there had been stores of other data breaches in the handling of EU nationals' documents and information in the space of less than six months, including 13 incidents of ID documents being misplaced within the EU Settlement Scheme Office and 27 incidents of personal documents being sent to the wrong address. Chief Inspector David Bolt said, The information provided to inspectors regarding data breaches was concerning, not least the increase in breaches each month between April and July 2019. Most of those to the end of June were due to a postal company rather than EU settlement scheme staff or processes. Data breaches damage public confidence and applicants will blame the Home Office whether or not this is fair. It is therefore important for the Home Office to do everything it can to keep breaches to a minimum. Most appear to have been common document handling errors and these should be easiest to prevent with clear instructions and good organisation, he said. Chief Inspector Bolt's report also raised concern about the hidden costs of applying to the scheme, in particular the cost of calls to the Settlement Resolution Centre, which may take longer because the case is complicated or because the applicant has difficulty understanding the advice. The ICIBI said the Home Office should consider whether in removing the fee last year it had done enough to make the application process genuinely free and therefore accessible to all applicants. The report also states that the Home Office should be clear about what it will do with regard to making reasonable inquiries on behalf of vulnerable individuals, such as looked after children, who find it difficult to prove their entitlement to apply. Mertje Bon, co-founder of campaign group The Three Million, said, The report backs up EU citizens' worries about the Home Office losing, sharing or deleting their records and data. It is not correct to say that a digital status cannot be lost or damaged, and we all know the risks of digital-only systems. Almost daily, we experience and read about systems being temporarily unavailable, hacked, or records breached. The fact that the status can be shared with others anywhere is in fact a cause for major concern. Ms Bond said this raised wider questions about the transparency and effectiveness of the scheme, adding, why do we only hear about these issues through inspections? Why can't the Home Office be up front? If this is truly about getting people through to the status they need, the Home Office needs to be more open and honest about the issues and take criticism constructively, as the inspector alludes to. Caitlin Boswell-Jones, Project Officer at the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants, warned that the data breaches had sinister implications for the digital system the Home Office intends to roll out and extend across the whole immigration system without any transparency or public scrutiny. She said the hidden costs discriminated against EU nationals and meant marginalised groups would struggle to apply, making them more likely to fall out of status and feel the full force of a hostile environment. The only way to protect EU citizens' rights is for Boris Johnson to keep the promises he made during the EU referendum by immediately granting automatic settled status to all EU nationals and their family members, Ms Boswell-Jones added. For the Home Office, a spokesperson said, we're pleased that the inspector praised the Home Office's management of the EU settlement scheme and recognised the wide range of support available online, by phone and in person. We take data protection very seriously and have apologised personally to all those affected. We have already taken steps to stop them happening again. 
It is the biggest scheme of its kind in British history and we have granted nearly 2.9 million status with over a year still to go. So we'll keep an eye on this and if we hear any more from the inspector or from the Home Office then we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host Keith Budden. French sporting retail giant Decathlon has become the latest big brand to expose user data via a misconfigured database, leaking over 123 million records including customer and employee information. A team at VPN Mentor uncovered the 9GB database on an unsecured Elasticsearch server. It contained information from Decathlon Spanish and potentially also its UK businesses. The elite Decathlon Spain database contains a veritable treasure trove of employees aged and more. As everything a malicious hacker would, in theory, need to use to take over accounts and gain access to private and even proprietary information, said VPN Mentor. Leaked data is understood to include employee usernames, unencrypted passwords and personally identifiable information, including social security numbers, full names, addresses, mobile phone numbers and dates of birth. The leaked data also features customer email and login information, all in an unencrypted format. The VPN mental team claimed that cyber criminals could use the administrator logins to conduct corporate espionage, bombard customers and employees with convincing phishing emails, and use for the personally identifiable information to engage in identity fraud. It even argued that some employees could be in physical danger. Employees' positions and work locations are spread throughout this database as well as their own physical home addresses, the report noted. This could lead to disgruntled former co-workers or irate customers tracking them down and threatening their physical safety and well-being. Decathlon is claiming that despite the large number of records contained in the database, only a small percentage relates to actual users. The unsecured database was discovered on February 12th, but the company notified four days later. It took action almost immediately, closing down public access to the database on February 17th. We don't yet know whether Decathlon has reported this to the ICO, either in Spain, France or the UK. Uh, That's something we're trying to find out at the moment. And once we have that, then we will see what the ICO plans to do about this data breach. But it is obviously quite a serious data breach in terms of numbers of people. And so we will be following this up in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Transavia, the Dutch low-cost airline, admitted on Monday this week that as many as 80,000 Transavia passengers' data had been released following the cyber attack. The five-year-old data was apparently being stored in an email inbox and contained passengers' full names, their date of birth, luggage reservations and whether or not they required assistance at the airport, such as with a wheelchair. The data that was released concerned any passengers that flew with the KLM subsidiary Transavia between January the 21st and January the 31st, 2015. Not affected by the breach were any passengers who flew to Egypt, the Canary Islands or Lapland in Finland. While admitting that the data had been accessed, Transavia did not explain why five-year-old flight data was being kept in an email inbox. In a statement to passengers, they said, We have recently found that it has been the case of unwanted access to a Transavia mailbox, despite the fact that this concerns data from the beginning of 2015 
and that it did not contain sensitive data such as address data, credit card information or passport information, we personally informed the passengers involved about this event. While stopping short of saying that it was a hacker who breached their system, the airline only went so far as to say it had been some kind of unwanted access. Tour operators and travel agencies have been notified about the data breach and Transavia said they would contact all passengers through the email addresses that they used to make the reservations. After investigation, we have no reason to believe that the unwanted access to the mailbox was aimed at obtaining this data. In addition, practice shows that this combination of data, name, date of birth and flight, the chance of abuse is minimal, Transavia said. Transavia said they had notified the Dutch ICO of the data breach. The airline has now pledged to improve its security to ensure that this kind of breach or any other hacking looking to retrieve personal information of passengers does not occur again. The latest attack on Transavia sounds more like some sort of amateur rather than serious criminal attempt as no credit card information or addresses were revealed. What does give some cause for concern though is why an airline would keep this kind of information five years after it had elapsed and even more, why they would keep that kind of information just in an email and an inbox. We know that cyber criminals look at airlines as being soft targets compared to banks, which means that really, I think it's up to airlines to step up to the mark as far as GDPR is concerned and think much more carefully about how they're handling customer data. After all, this isn't the first airline to have a data breach. There's obviously the British Airways data breach, which has been well publicised because of their subsequent uh, £183 million fine, which is still being um, negotiated. And also, of course, the Cathay Pacific breach, which dwarfed what happened at British Airways, with 9.4 million of the Hong Kong-based airline passengers having their data stolen. In terms of this particular breach, if we have any update from Transavia or from the Dutch ICO, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The UK Financial Conduct Authority had to admit to an accidental data breach this week. The Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA, apologised after it accidentally exposed the confidential details of around 1,600 consumers who had complained against it in response to a Freedom of Information request for data. In an official notice, the regulator stated that certain underlying classified information like names, addresses and phone numbers of complainants may have been accessible on its website. However, the company clarified that no financial, payment card, passport or other identity information was exposed in the incident. According to the FCA, the exposed information is related to individuals who complained between January 2nd, 2018 and July 17th, 2019. The FCA removed the relevant data from its website immediately after noticing the breach. We have undertaken a full review to identify the extent of any information that may have been accessible. Our primary concern is to ensure the protection and safeguarding of individuals who may be identifiable from the data, the FCA said. The regulator is reaching out to apologise to affected users and advise them of the extent of the data disclosed. It also confirmed to us that it has reported the incident to the UK's data privacy watchdog, the ICO, the Information Commission Office. It's obviously very embarrassing for the FCA, but hopefully, they, because they acted quickly, there actually won't be any real damage to those who've had their data breached in this way. But of course we will continue to monitor that and should we have any feedback on this either from the FCA, from the ICO or indeed from anyone who knows that their data has been affected by this then we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. 
You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Crossing to the other side of the Atlantic now, and Desjardins, Chief Executive Guy Cormier, has announced that the data breach that they suffered last year has cost their £84.5 million to address instead of the £54.8 million they'd estimated. To give a bit of background, in June last year, Desjardin announced that it had suffered a major breach that would result in the loss of personal information of as many as 2.7 million personal members and 173,000 business members. The Canadian Financial Co-op said that the breach occurred when their employees shared the massive data transfer with third parties, resulting in the loss of personal information of the 2.7 million personal members and 173,000 business members. The breach comprised first and last names, dates of birth, social security numbers, physical addresses, phone numbers, email addresses and other details of home users. And for business users, it included the business names, business addresses, phone numbers, business owners' names and the access to affairs account usernames of business customers. Following the massive data exposure, Desjardin offered to pay for a five-year credit monitoring plan for all the customers affected to include daily access to credit reports, instant alerts of key changes and identify any theft occurrence. To avoid such incidents in future, from July last year, Desjardin also offered free-of-charge identity protection for all members who bank with the cooperative in Quebec and Ontario in Canada. In November, Desjardin announced in a new press release that it was informed by the Sûreté de Quebec Quebec's police force, that the massive data breach impacted up to 4.2 million customers who had used its services in Quebec and Ontario. The company also said that the compromised data wasn't misused. The Quebec-based financial institution estimated that the data breach would now cost the company £54.8 million. However, as reported by the Canadian press, the breach has cost the credit union approximately £84.5 million, almost 30 million more than the company estimated. However, the CEO, Guy Cormier, did not seem to be too worried about the amount. According to CBC, Cormier said that the impact is less than 1% of our 18 billion in revenues in 2019, and while it may seem like a large amount, Desjardins has ample capacity to absorb the expense. These costs were mostly incurred to provide the free credit monitoring services to its affected customers. So perhaps just give an example of just how much a data breach can cost an organisation, even without any penalty that may be imposed by whatever regulator, whether it's the ICO in the UK or the relevant ICO in the rest of Europe or indeed you know, a, an overseas um, ICO equivalent. Just the actual cost of dealing with the customers and providing them with the reassurance that they need that their data is safe and that they're going to remain using your service can be a considerable expense. And that's why data breaches are so important and managing them is so important. And so if you would like any help with data breaches in your own organisation or how you should handle them should you be unfortunate enough to have a data breach, then please do contact us at, at podcast.insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk. And as always, one of our specialists will be very pleased to help you and to give you guidance and move you forward so that you can feel confident in your own organisation that should it happen, you'll know exactly what to do and you can minimise the effect on your customers. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
The CBI, the Confederation of British Industry, has warned employers that they should start gathering ethnicity data and improving pay equality in their organisations now, rather than wait for mandatory ethnicity pay gap reporting to be introduced. The Confederation of British Industry, the CBI, said it expected ethnicity pay gap reporting to become law in the next one or two years and urged employers to start selecting and voluntarily publishing their data ahead of any change in the law. A guide published by the membership organisation and law firm Evershed Sutherland said employers must start persuading employees to voluntarily disclose their ethnicity to enable them to accurately report any pay gaps. Employers should consider now if such reporting could expose black, Asian and minority ethnic staff to unequal treatment, the guide said. Now it's worth remembering, of course, that under GDPR, ethnicity is classified as a special category of data, which means it could significantly compromise an employee's fundamental rights and freedoms by putting them at risk of unlawful discrimination. It also means you need to make sure that you've got the posters in place to deal with that special category data. But if you manage your own payroll, that shouldn't be too much of an issue because payroll data on the whole falls into special category anyway. And so we would hope, or we would hope, that you would already have the necessary steps in place. But if you want us to look at your payroll handling or your HR handling and make sure it is compliant, then as always, please just drop us an email to podcast at insurety.co.uk, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk, and we'll be pleased to help you with this issue. Now, to give a bit of background to this particular issue, in 2018, the government published a consultation on introducing ethnicity pay gap reporting and suggested companies with more than 250 employees could be required to publish this data in a similar way to gender pay gap reporting. Many experts had expected the legislation to be passed this year, but since the general election, it's been unclear whether a bill would be tabled and when this was likely. Nonetheless, Dr Jill Miller, Diversity and Inclusion Advisor at the CIPD, said HR teams had a key responsibility to use workforce data to identify and take action where people from different backgrounds, identities or circumstances were being left behind. This data can act as a starting point for planning the necessary action needed to change an organisation's systems, culture, policies and processes, she said. However, she went on to say that we know that gathering data about the ethnic makeup of the workforce and creating a culture where people feel comfortable talking about their race and ethnicity are significant challenges employers need to overcome. Sandra Kerr, the Race Equality Director at the Business in the Community, said that the ethnicity pay gap reporting was an important indicator for businesses of how much work was needed to make their workplaces fair and equitable. Sandra Kerr said pay gap figures have to be looked at in the context of the action plans and targets employers attach to the figures themselves, which set out how they intend to address the issue. Problems in pay inequality are often linked to bias in recruitment and the need for increased access to opportunities for progression. Kerr went on to add that businesses would not be able to close their ethnicity pay gap without thoughtful, consistent action plans to tackle the root causes of inequality and called on the government to hold organisations to account for their pay gaps. A report by PricewaterhouseCoopers earlier this year found that the majority, 95%, of UK businesses had not yet carried out any analysis of their ethnicity pay gap, with 40% citing concerns around legal restrictions and GDPR compliance when it came to gathering data. So again, another example where if you're not sure, please contact us, we'd be delighted to help you. Three quarters, 75% of the 80 companies surveyed said they did not currently have sufficient data to analyse their ethnicity pay gap. A separate report by the Equality and Human Rights Commission 
found that over half of employers faced barriers in selecting ethnicity pay data. A third felt selecting ethnicity data was too intrusive, while a quarter thought employees might not want to share the information. Matthew Fowle, Chief Policy Officer at the CBI, explained some companies had already begun reporting ethnicity pay data and understood what long-term meaningful action was needed to tackle inequality in the workplace. But many businesses are still lagging behind on preparing for pay reporting, he said. He went on to say that firms have to get better at speaking about race at work, developing campaigns to encourage employees to share their ethnicity, and creating strategies to ensure that everyone's represented all the way up to the boardroom. This becomes especially relevant when you listen to our next article in this episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, which is talking about a consultation paper currently being circulated by the Information Commissioner's Office. So we'll tell you more about that in a few moments. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The Information and Commissioner's Office here in the UK, the ICO, has outlined measures including a data governance framework, monitoring for algorithmic fairness, and being ready to add or remove data on different groups in order to eliminate bias in the use of artificial intelligence. The recommendation is included in new draft guidance on the AI auditing framework for which the ICO has just begun a consultation. The guidance contains advice for understanding data protection law in relation to artificial intelligence, and recommendations for organisational and technical measures to mitigate the risk. It also provides a methodology to audit AI applications and ensure they process personal data fairly. The move has come in the light of growing concerns over bias within artificial intelligence algorithms that are determined by the perceptions of those developing the programmes. The guidance investigates the factors behind possible bias in artificial intelligence and sets out a number of steps aimed at mitigating the risk. Some of these steps are preventative, including the creation of a data governance framework ensuring how personal data should be used, and ensuring that artificial intelligence developers have completed training and competency assessments so they can identify and deal with any discrimination they discover within the systems. It also proposes documenting access management controls and a segregation of duties in the development and deployment of systems, a thorough assessment of the risk of discrimination, and a documented process of pre-implementation testing. Other measures proposed are focused on detection, including regular monitoring, documenting levels of approval and attestation of training and test data prior to use, and regularly reviewing performance against the most recent data. The document also points to corrective measures that include being prepared to add or remove data about under or over-represented groups, and being ready to retrain the actual model designers who put together the algorithm that the artificial intelligence is using. Other elements of the guidance include ensuring lawfulness, fairness and transparency, assessing security and data minimisation, and enabling individual rights in any artificial intelligence system. The ICO says it's looking for feedback from technology specialists, data protection officers, general counsel and risk managers through an online survey. This is the first piece of guidance published by the ICO that has a broad focus on the management of several different risks arising from AI systems, as well as governance and accountability measures, the organisation has said. It is essential for the guidance to be both conceptually sound and applicable to real-life situations, as it will shape how the ICO will regulate in this space. This is why feedback from those developing and implementing such systems is essential. The consultation is set to run until the 1st of April 2020, and you can find the survey at https 
colon slash slash wh dot snap surveys dot com that's snap surveys all one word slash s dot asp question mark k equals one five eight two zero two five eight four zero three eight so that's s for sugar dot asp question mark k equals one five eight two zero two five eight four zero three eight we will be returning to this uh, guidance in the next few episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show so that we can talk through what the ICO is actually proposing in relation to artificial intelligence. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.